We come now to our sermon passage this morning. We're continuing on in our um, sermon series in the book of Galatians. And this morning we're in chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. So you can turn there in your Bibles or on your phones, um, or it's printed for you in your bulletin if you need that while you're turning there. Um, years ago I was reading an, uh, an interview with the, the singer Bono, the lead singer from the band U2. And I'm a U2 fan. You don't need to be. It's fine. I get it if you don't like them. But anyway, he was being interviewed, and he was being asked by the interviewer about his religious beliefs. Because Bono's been very upfront about his Christian beliefs, kind of his whole career. A lot of U2 songs are about God and wrestling with faith. And so he was asked, what makes Jesus unique? You know, you're a man that's traveled the world. What makes Christianity unique from the other religions? And this is what Bono said. At the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or op- and opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea called grace, to upend all of that as you reap so you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed, because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. These words were from Bono from a few years ago, but they very much could have come from the pen of the Apostle Paul. In a world where almost everything and everyone is judged and valued based on what they can do or have done, the grace of God in Jesus breaks through and turns everything on its head. The gospel of Jesus is not a piece that we just add to our lives. The power of the gospel is almost like a magnetic pull. When the grace of God enters our lives, it becomes the new center that everything else has to form around. When we come to face to face with what God has done in Jesus Christ, everything else in our life has to reckon with that truth. It becomes the new centering thing that everything else has to fit around. The Apostle Paul is making that point in Galatians. And part of the way that he's demonstrating it is he narrates his own story. It's almost like he gives a bit of an autobiography to show what it means for the gospel to disrupt and transform. So he tells his own story of being unmade and broken and then remade by the grace of God and Jesus. And he begins to do that here in our passage this morning. So Galatians chapter 1 verses 11 through 24, this is God's word. Good, beautiful, and true. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by His grace, was He was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, that's non-Jews. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. 
But I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in it you show us who you are, and thus you show us who we are in you. So I pray in these moments as we look into the treasure of your word that you would move by your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts that we might see all that is ours in Christ Jesus. All that is ours in Him. And we may come to love Him all the more and be shaped to be like Him. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to break this sermon up into a couple different sections to help get our mind around everything that's going on. And the first one is the gospel shakes everything. As I've already said, the gospel is a message breaking in from the outside, in a sense. It plays by different rules than our world. It defies logic to make sense of it. That God's approval, God's justification of us, cannot be won and it cannot be earned. It must be received as a gift. As I've said in previous weeks, this is the difference between a religion and an idea of Jesus as good advice, that he came as a religious leader to give us a list of things to do, and if we do these things, then God will be pleased with us and love us. That's, the, that's religion as good advice, and that's what every other religion in the world offers us. Here's a pathway for you to follow, and if you do this well enough and you work hard enough, then God will give you the A plus at the end. But what Jesus announces to us is good news, a report of a victory accomplished outside of us that we contributed nothing to that has huge ramifications for us. The gospel of Jesus that through his life, death, and resurrection, God has brought forgiveness, transformation, and hope into our world. And those are ours by faith and faith alone. It's not something we earn. It's not a paycheck that we get paid because we've done so well. This is a huge in breaking of a different thing. As Paul, as uh, Bono, he said, love interrupts. Grace disrupts. But the good news of the good news, the gospel of the gospel, is that this outside report doesn't re remain outside of us. It's not just like a cool story we hear about. When we come to Jesus by faith, receiving and resting on Him alone, as he's offered to us in the gospel for salvation, when we're united to him, all that is his by right becomes ours by grace. And we receive all the benefits of what he has done. And this new reality shakes everything. Paul shows this in our passage. And he talks about how he was before, comparing how he was before he encountered the grace of God in Jesus, and how he was after. It starts in verse 13. He speaks of his previous way of life. And there's a number of things to notice. Where did Paul build his identity? Well, he, he defined himself in competition with others. He talks about how he was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. 
His identity, how he defined himself. If you said, Paul, who are you and makes, what makes you worth being heard? He'd say, well, I outpaced all my peers. I'll show you the ribbons. I'll show you the trophies. He did, probably didn't have literal ribbons or trophies. But I can show you. I'm smarter than all the rest of my guys. I'm number one in the class. So he defined himself in competition with others. He also defined himself by his heritage and his sense of connection and pride with his fathers and his ancestors. In our world, they'd be saying, look, I've got the right last name. I can get a table anywhere. Everybody respects me. I say my dad's name and everybody knows who that is. So he defined himself in competition with his sense of pride and his heritage. He defined himself by his passion. He described himself as extremely zealous which means passionate. He was passionate about his life to the point that he was willing to engage in violence for what he believed in. In fact, the very first time we meet the Apostle Paul in Scripture, it's in Acts chapter 7, and he is more or less presiding over a mob that executes Stephen, the very first Christian martyr, the very first Christian to die for his faith. Apostle Paul was an extreme opponent of the early church because he thought they were crazy and going to upend everything. Truth is, they did upend everything, but that's a whole other um, thing. But he defined himself by his competition, by his heritage, by his passion. And what do those things have in common? Well, in one way or another, they're all Paul defining himself by something he finds in himself. It's all Paul defining himself by either what he's done, what he's felt, or his background. It's all Paul looking to his resume for his identity. You know what a resume is. You fill it out anytime you go in and you're trying to get hired at a job. And what do you do? You list all the jobs you've done before. You list your uh, educational qualifications. You list your references. And um, they call your references and they say, yeah, he's a good guy. He's a hard worker. Your resume is putting something in front of somebody else that says, I am worthy of your attention. I'm worthy of this position. You should hire me because look how hard I work. Look how smart I am. And Paul's resume is a great one. It really was. The Apostle Paul is an interesting case because he's not a guy that was really failing at everything else and then found religion. He's not a guy that had made a wreck of his life and then stumbled into faith in Jesus. No, he was the most passionate. He was the one that studied the most. He was the one that could show you the impressive family tree. On paper, Paul was a respectable man in his world that had done everything right. He had climbed the ladder. And for him, it meant absolutely everything because that is where he was finding his identity. That is how he was identifying himself. We read about it earlier in that passage in Philippians chapter 3 when he lists it off. He says, if somebody thinks they have confidence, a reason to have confidence in the flesh, if somebody thinks they have an impressive resume, I have more. He said, look, I did everything right. I was circumcised on the eighth day, so I started out good. My parents made the right decisions. Religiously, I was of the people of Israel, inheriting all these promises that God had made to his people. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, the best of the best. 
In regard to the law, it was a Pharisee, and that was the type of people that took the law and the Old Testament incredibly seriously. So he's like, I was meticulous. As for zeal, I persecuted the church, so I was passionate. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. And that impressive resume, what does he say? Whatever were gains to me now, whatever those things were, as impressive they were on my resume, I now consider them loss for the sake of Jesus. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus as my Lord. I consider them, he says, garbage that I may gain Christ. Garbage. That Greek word is actually a cuss word that's translated garbage here. I'm not going to say it, but in their world, it was the word for fecal matter. Paul's saying, I consider all of that stuff I did that was impressive crap compared to knowing how loved I am in Christ Jesus. So that I might be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes by faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. When God's grace became clear to Paul, he realized that his resume, as impressive as it was, was trash. Let's stop there. Because I want to put it in our own context so we can understand it better. Paul saying, I finished as valedictorian in my high school. I had a perfect GPA. I took every AP class I could. I had scholarship offers from all the Ivy League schools, and I wound up playing football at Harvard too. At the same time, I invested money early and wisely, and I made more money than I'm ever going to need. And now I'm an upstanding citizen with all kinds of accolades and awards for my civic involvement. But all of that is garbage is trash compared to finding my worth and the love of God for me that I did not earn. I can take it or leave it. All the trophies, all the degrees, all the accolades in the world cannot add a thing to God's love for me. That's what Paul's saying here. That the gospel has broken into his life and shattered what he thought mattered. Now, that's not saying Paul would say, you know, it's not important to be zealous. I'll talk about that in a minute. It's not important to study hard and all of those things. But he's talking about where he builds his identity. How he answers the question, who are you? And that brings me to my second section. The gospel remakes us. It remakes us. The gospel did not just unmake and dismantle and deconstruct Paul. It remade him which we see as he continues on in this passage. He speaks about what his life was like after the grace of God and Christ found him. And what we see here is a person whose outlook had completely shifted. So before, he defined himself in competition with others. But no longer does he do that. That's one of the points where he's talking about where he went. He says, I didn't immediately go to Jerusalem, but I went to all these other places. Because all the other apostles were in Jerusalem. What Paul's saying is when I found the grace of God in Christ and I received this calling to preach Him to people, I didn't need to go prove myself against them. I didn't need to go to Jerusalem and try to work harder and make a name for myself. 
Because we're on the same team. I didn't have to look at the other apostles with suspicion. I didn't need to compete with them or win their approval. All the approval I need comes from Jesus. And no longer did he need to define himself by his heritage or his sense of connection with his ancestors or his fathers. His calling was to bring the gospel to non-Jews. People that before he encountered the grace of God in Christ, he would have ignored, disdained, or hated. He would have called them in his mind unclean. I don't associate with that kind of person. But now his calling is to go to people he would have otherwise despised. And his calling, what's happened in his heart because of the grace of God in Christ, is more important than his cultural preferences. Now that's not to say that it's not okay to have pride in your background or in your family. That's a good thing. It can be a very good thing. But there's a big difference in that, in building your worth, in your, uh, in your history, or your connection to impressive past or whatever. And Paul also didn't need to define himself by his passion. Now, he remained a passionate person. We see it in Galatians. We see it in the rest of the New Testament. But no longer is that passion the measure of his worth. Now that he knew that his worth was entirely defined by the love of God for him, he knew he wasn't drawing on his own power and his own good intentions. Here he talks about his life before he encountered Christ, that he was... He was strenuously going. He was working with all of his might. Well, he writes later in a book called Colossians that now he strenuously contends with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. He's found a different source of strength and power. In other words, Paul has been remade. No, one, no more is that resume the measure of his worth. He's been freed from the rules of this world, how we judge ourselves and how we judge others, because he's been united to Jesus. But here's the good news for us. we got some impressive people in here. You're very impressive people. I know your resumes. You're, you're impressive folks. But here's the good news for us who don't have the good resumes. Here's good news for us that feel like our life's more like one long movie of us taking the wrong steps. That the gospel doesn't just free us from our resumes. It, springs, it frees us from our rap sheets. It frees us from our despair about the things we've done wrong. I want you to consider this. What was going on inside the Apostle Paul emotionally after he encountered the grace of Jesus when he realized that he had spent years of his life being a direct opposer of the church, that he had put his time, money, and resources in life. He talks about it elsewhere. He was traveling around the Roman Empire trying to arrest Christians and put them in jail. That's kind of what his full-time gig was. What do you think was going on in his heart when he would think about that? Regret, right? Deep shame and guilt. But what do we see here? Not a Paul that is sunk by shame or sunk by guilt. Because the love of God in Jesus has freed him from his resume and his rap sheet. It has freed him from his uh, 
uh, confidence in his own works, but also his despair at his sin. Now that's not to say that what he had done wasn't serious. It was. The point isn't that he had forgotten over time. It wasn't just like time had passed and healed his heart and he had forgotten because he did not forget. But the point is when he came face to face with the grace of Jesus, he was able to find his worth and his identity in God's works, not his own. He was able to let go of the kind of thinking that considers himself or any others uh, uh, people of value or worth based on what they have or haven't done because the kingdom of God is not like that. Now, that, that does sneak into churches. It does sneak into the kingdom of God. But what Jesus came to establish is a place that is not like that. The church is not meant to be like a, a hierarchy where there's people that are more loved and more valued, and then there's people that are less loved and less valued based on what they have done or haven't done. You know, it's easy to think like the pastor is the most holy person in the church, the pastor is the most loved, they're the most studied, they've done the hardest work, and so they've got that direct line access. They're like up here. Everybody else is kind of right here. And then you've got a few people that maybe feel like they're down here. That's not true. In the kingdom of God, it is not true at all. In fact, what did we read in our call to worship? It's words from the Apostle Paul from first, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He actually wrote this near the end of his ministry. So he had already planted dozens of churches in the Roman Empire. He had spent decades pouring his life into people, sacrificing for the gospel. And at his most mature when he had imbibed and drunk from this fountain of God's grace for decades. What does Paul say about himself? Not, I was the most qualified, so that's why God put me in this position. What does he say? This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, not because of my resume... But that reason I was shown mercy. That God might, dis- that Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul's point here is not that you should be impressed by him, not that he had worked hard and now in this hierarchy of God's kingdom, Paul's up here and everybody else is down here. Paul's saying, I've been lifted up and I am a trophy of grace. I am a trophy of God's grace that that shows his incredible patience and kindness and love. When people look at me, they are not impressed with me. They are impressed with God's grace that it continues to find me over and over again. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that what you do doesn't matter. This is not a license for us to go off and and engage in selfishness and sin, but it does mean that we begin to look at everything, ourselves, others, our entire world, through the lens of what God has done in Jesus. That grace breaks us and remakes us. And it does one more thing. This is my last section. The gospel propels us. The gospel propels us. Doing good things matters. But the good works we do are always fruit 
that spring from a root of God's love for us. And we can't get those things backwards. The root within us is the God who loves us and the immensity of His love. And as we drink from the fountain of that, I'm mixing my metaphors. It's a fountain. It's a, it's a root. Uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm, I'm grabbing and grasping at the magnitude of this grace. But as it becomes the root of who we are, what grows out from that is the fruit of good works. But it's never the other way around. Because the love of God for us is never something we earn. The love of God for us is not a thing that we collect. It's not like you get more grace. Like if I do enough good deeds, I get three more grace. I can put that in my grace bank. It's not what it is. It's never a thing we earn. It's never something dependent on us. But to say this another way, the philosopher Dallas Willard once said, Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Which is what I mean by saying that the gospel propels us because it doesn't leave us inactive. It does tell us that all we need is given to us by faith in Jesus. But that propels us forward. When we first meet the Apostle Paul, before the gospel had found him, he was a busy guy, doing a lot. We talked about that already. And after the grace of God found him, he was a busy guy, doing a lot. But the source of that striving, the source of that hard work, makes all the difference in the world. Because he wasn't trying to earn anything any longer. In front of God or in front of anybody else. And the root of who he was had been given to him as a gift. And out of that secure root, his lives, his actions could be propelled by a new power. When the centerpiece of who you are is the good news of Jesus, a love that you did not earn and so you cannot lose, when that's the centerpiece of who you are, you are freed and you are energized by a new kind of fuel. You can give up trying to work hard to earn anything and you can give up deep regret and despair about past mistakes and you can lean in on what really matters. As the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 5 later on in this same letter, he says, in Christ Jesus, the only thing that counts, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Not earning. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. When the grace of God shook Paul to the core, it did not erase who he was. Grace is not a reset button. All the pieces that had made him who he was remained. But God took those pieces and he reshaped them. He put them in a new order. In the hands of God, that zeal and that passion that had led him to violence against the earliest Christians, it was renewed into a new glorious passion that showed itself in service and sacrifice for the glory of God and the good of others. In the hands of God, that heritage, that background that Paul had taken such pride in, it became an instrument for him to demonstrate the glories of Jesus because God used that education that Paul had gotten that he, had, he was trying to prove himself, but God used that knowledge for him to write Scripture, for him to preach and connect the dots for people, how Jesus was the Messiah that had been predicted all along and promised. In the hands of God, that sense of competition against others that had driven Paul in his youth became the flip side 
where he put himself in front of others as an example of God's patience, which we just read about in 1 Timothy 1. My point here is that God's grace did not erase who Paul was or what he had done, but the gospel entered in and it claimed the center. And all those other pieces had to be formed around that new center. Paul could own his gifts, he could own his deeds and put them to work. He could accept his past and pretend it, and not pretend it wasn't true. And that's the good news for us here. We are all different people with different experiences. And we all have pasts in here. We have good things we've done, accolades we've received. We have things that we've really messed up. We have sins that have marked us and marked others in our lives. What's the saying? Every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. But what we discover in the gospel... May we discover this more and more, what Paul did, that God's grace found, found us without regard to our ethnicities, without regard to our traditions, without regard to our excellence or our failure. And this grace becomes the thing around which everything else has to form. So give up on your resume. Keep the file on your computer if you have to apply for a job because they're still going to want a resume. But other than that, Toss it in the trash. When you start to think about who you are, don't answer with your education. Don't answer with your job history. Don't answer with your GPA. Answer, I'm somebody that has been found by the grace of God in Jesus. That God moved heaven and earth to find me. That Jesus came to die for me so that wrath does not belong to me. That he was raised for me and that new life is for me. And I am his delighted in child. Toss that resume in the trash. Give up on your rap sheet. Um, Apostle Paul talks about elsewhere. That the sorrow that we have, there's a difference between when we look at our past, between godly sorrow and what he calls worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow leads to shame and death. He speaks about it that way. When we see our sin... And all we can do is stay in shame. It destroys our hearts. He talks about godly sorrow that leads to repentance, which means we stare at the sin, we turn from it, and we turn to Jesus. Godly sorrow that leads to repentance and leaves no regret. There's freedom in Christ. So we can leave our resume alone. We can leave our rap sheet alone. They cannot define you. Find in the love of God and Christ all the motivation, all the fuel, all the strength, all the justification you will ever need. And come back to this source of life over and over and over again. I mean every day. And find that His grace will be sufficient for you always. I close with words from John Calvin in the 16th century. He said this, Since rich stores of every kind of good abounds in Jesus... Let us drink from this fountain and no other. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have found us. And you, by your grace, have shaken us. That we might not trust in these faulty foundations that we so often try to build a life on. But that you have not left us in that, but that you have remade us by your grace. That the gospel now becomes the center of who we are. That everything else has to form around so I pray, Lord, that you would make us mindful of this power and this work that you're, you're doing within us. 
that we may be quick to meditate on your love for us in the gospel, that we may know that we are not our resumes and we are not our rap sheets, that we are who you say we are. Who you say we are is justified in your sight by faith and not by works. Who you say we are are delighted in daughters and sons of God. Let us stay there in that center and never leave it. And that, that propel us out into our world. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.